Today we'll be reading from 1 Peter, so if you could grab your Bibles and join me, that would be awesome. Starting from verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Well, thanks, Celeste, and welcome, everybody. If you're new here, uh, I'm Travis. I'm one of the pastors at PBC, and you've probably worked out by now that we're about to jump into the letter of 1 Peter uh, as a church family. Uh, and now, this is a, a beautiful New Testament letter that I think really speaks relevance over our lives today as we wrestle with some of those questions of, of what does it mean to be a Christian and to live as a Christian in a society and a culture that isn't. So before we jump in, would you let me pray? Our Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that it is living and active. We want to thank you that through it you speak. You guide, you train, you equip us for every good work through your word. And so I would pray right now that uh, whoever is uh, watching or or listening uh, online would hear not just my voice, Lord, but yours. Would you speak to them what it is you would have them take hold of for themselves from 1 Peter chapter 1. Thank you for this, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, grab your Bibles, hopefully uh, they're nearby. We're going to jump straight in, uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, So in verse 1, we learn a lot of things. Uh, We learn who the author of the letter is, the intended recipients of the letter, uh, and one of the key concepts that's going to track throughout the whole letter as well. Uh, So the author is Peter, the Apostle Peter, the same Peter that we read of in the Gospel accounts of Jesus' life. Uh, One of the 12 disciples that followed Jesus everywhere. You know, the Peter that was often brash, sometimes even violent, uh, full of passion and also full of faith. 
the Peter who also would deny Jesus three times on the night of his arrest and betrayal. And one of the things that really actually stood out to me, not necessarily from this passage, but from the letter as a whole, is just how warm and, and pastoral this letter is. Uh, it's, it's nurturing, it's soft, it's like a big daddy bear hug. Although the content is hard in places, it's really nurturing. I don't know if that quite fits with my, I don't know, my understanding of who Peter is where we leave him uh, at the end of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. And yet one of the beautiful things is that where we leave him in the end of John's gospel, certainly John chapter 21, is with this interaction with Jesus where Jesus calls Peter three times repeatedly to feed my sheep. Simon Barjona, if you love me, then feed my sheep. It seems that all these years later that Peter has continued to grow and be refined in his character to this point where he can write what is this lovely shepherding email. He's, he's almost like following in the footsteps of his good shepherd as he shepherds this group of believers, uh, aware of the dangers and the enemies that surround them and wants to shepherd them into the fullness uh, of life. Uh, and to me, I, just, I was struck afresh by just what a beautifully redemptive uh, arc the story of Peter has. And it's a fresh reminder to me and, and hopefully to you as well uh, that by God's grace, we are not who we once were and that by God's grace, who we are today is not yet who we will be in the future as we continue to join with and participate with the work that the Holy Spirit is having in our lives to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. Uh, so this Peter, he, he writes uh, to uh, a group of Christians, uh, a group of churches uh, in different locations. Uh, so we learn straight away this is meant to be a circular letter, one that would be taken to these different places and read among the churches in those places. So for a little bit of historical context, um, this is about three decades after the, the birth of the church. You know, that great day at Pentecost after the death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus where, where 3,000 people come to find faith in Jesus Christ and, and, and really the church is born. And over those intervening decades, the gospel message has spread and continued to spread. And it's crossed, uh, obviously, geographical borders, but also cultural and religious borders. Uh, and the church has truly become this sort of multi-ethnic, multicultural uh, group of people um, that are united in their common devotion to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And for them and as for us, they each have to work out, well, what does it now mean to be a Christian and to live as a Christian in my community that, that isn't Christian. And at times I really felt the tension of that because following Jesus is radically countercultural. And so how people saw them and treated them, because they were different, started, they started to feel the sting of some of that. And actually at this time there, there is an increase in the antagonism towards the church and towards people of faith. There, there is actually a rising persecution against Christians uh, beginning to build and this is what Peter addresses uh, in his letter. And one of the key concepts that he wants them to understand and to take hold of is this issue of self-perception and their self-identity as the followers of Jesus. Peter wants them to understand that in their community, that in their society, they are exiles. Or maybe your translation has strangers or aliens. It's a Greek word. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce this on the screen now. Uh, and Richard Lenski writing of this says, says aliens or strangers uh, are persons who belong to some other land and people who are temporarily residing with a people to whom they do not belong. 
and as such, they are often felt in contempt by the natives among whom they dwell. And so Peter writes to this group of Christians, feeling the tension of belonging to Jesus and kind of not belonging to their world anymore. And he writes in chapter 4 for them to not be surprised by what they're experiencing, as if something strange were happening to them. The reason they were experiencing what they were experiencing was because they did not belong. You know, every now and again, I think we feel the, the sting of that as Christians more than in other times, don't we? I remember a really clear example in my life. It was an interaction with a friend of mine where it became abundantly clear that I was no longer welcome in his life. I did not belong in his life if I held this belief and this allegiance to Jesus as Lord. Um, we moved to the same city and so we managed to catch up for dinner and um, we were having a great old time and a great old chat and, and somehow the conversation came around to, to matters of faith and I'm pretty sure I didn't initiate that and um, he said something and then I kind of said, well, actually, yeah, no, I really do believe that and there was this, this awkward pause that kind of just, just like hung uh, in the air and he didn't need to say anything um, but it was really clear to me that if that's what you believe and if that's who you are, then there's no future for this friendship. You, know, you don't, do not belong in my life if that's the beliefs that you hold. I remember driving away feeling, to be honest, a little bit rejected and, and quite sad, but feeling that the cost of my faith in Jesus in that particular relationship. Maybe you've experienced something similar or regularly experienced um, things that are similar in, in microcosm. You know, I think we've all been in those kind of conversations where someone is talking about an issue of, of morality or ethics or a, a worldview and kind of makes this sweeping statement or generalization as if, well, of course, everyone would, would believe the same as what I've just said and, and inside, or, or maybe you piped up and you actually said, well, actually, as a Christian, I hold to a different uh, philosophy or belief or worldview about that. And you felt suddenly the awkwardness of, wow, I don't really belong or my beliefs don't align. Maybe you've got really close friends or or close family. And and of course, you want to to share in common experience and and common belief. Um, But sometimes there are activities or certain behaviors that you know as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you just can't participate in. And then you feel that sting of, ooh, I don't feel like I belong. You know, I went uh, through a little while, a couple of uh, years ago, of, of watching too much television. And um, one of the things that, that happens on television, obviously, is, is that the people uh, in the sort of current affairs programs, they almost become like cultural spokespeople. Uh, you've got the crowd there that are kind of obviously lending their support and they're under the lights. They look all official, hopefully like I'm looking now. Um, but, but I remember just, it felt like every night when I was, was watching something, I, I would hear something to the effect that, that made me feel your beliefs or your kind of beliefs aren't welcome in our society. You know what I mean? I think it's fair to say that we all innately desire to belong. We want to be loved and accepted. I think we're created for community, so God has placed that in our heart. And I think that's why the feeling of you don't belong here cuts so deep for us. Of course, the exception is, unless you're belonging or you're not belonging is because you belong to something greater or to someone greater. All right, so think about it. No one feels the sting of not belonging to the Division F cricket team anymore because you now belong to the team that's representing the state. Right? No one complains that they no longer belong in hospital because they've been healed and set free. 
Now, no one complains that they no longer belong in prison because they have paid their debt in full and they now belong as a free person uh, in society. Right, and so Peter writes to this group of believers to remind them that, okay, hey, you may not belong in this culture that does not follow or recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior, but you belong to God. And their belonging to God was not some happy mistake, but it's actually the eternal plan and purpose of God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all working together for their redemption, for their adoption into the family of faith. This is um, verse 2. To God's elect, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Christ Jesus uh, and sprinkled with his blood. Uh, So God the Father had planned and purpose, had had chosen according to his foreknowledge, however you want to understand the interplay of those words, uh, that they would become those who belong to him. Uh, that through the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, that they had been sanctified, which is just a, a big theological word that means made holy and set apart. You know, they're set apart from the world for God to belong to him. And that in Christ Jesus, they had been uh, sprinkled with his blood, which is a, a graphic image, but, but it's filled with rich Old Testament imagery that, that speaks of the forgiveness of sins, of cleansing, of the removal of any guilt or, or stain of shame that remains upon them. And you'll notice that they're not, uh, they don't belong to God and they're not set apart in order to live a really happy, easy life or to have the world fall uh, at their feet but they actually belong to God and they're set apart, they're chosen in order to be obedient to Jesus Christ. So Peter writes to them to, to remind them that they would live out their identity as the chosen people of God, with or without the support of their culture. In the next chapter, uh, he will write that they are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that they may declare the praises of him who called them out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So I wonder for you in your own life, how do you respond when you feel some of that tension of, of, in Jesus' words, being in but not of the world? You know, I think there's a, a bunch of ways that we can naturally want to respond. Uh, one of those is to try and culturally assimilate. That is to try and fit in as, as much as we can so that we can be accepted and we can belong and, and not have some of those tension points with our friends, our family, our, our work colleagues. Uh, I think I've seen some people just desire to retreat from culture. You know, they kind of kind of want to get into the safety and behind the walls of their, their Christian community where we kind of huddle and wait uh, to, uh, for Jesus to rescue us and, and escape to heaven. I've seen others kind of almost want to f- fight back and try, try and dominate and establish their position as Christians within the culture. And yet I think uh, for many of us, a much more natural response is to feel defeated or, or even deflated. To feel like we want to give in or, or, or give up our hope um, based on the way that the world sees us and treats us. Now, yet what we love, lovingly read in 1 Peter is that the calling on our lives, how we're supposed to respond to this, is to live out our identity as the chosen people of God. To be obedient to Christ Jesus, declaring the praises of him, God who brought us out of darkness. It's actually precisely because we belong to God that we are free and empowered to live in the world even though we belong to God and truly belong elsewhere. Our citizenship is in heaven. 
It's precisely because we belong to God that we can be a people of great hope who live every day with a living hope, a hope that cannot be quenched regardless of how friends, family, workmates or even society treats us or views us. How is this possible? Well, because knowing who we are and whose we are and who we belong with changes stuff, doesn't it? Changes everything. You know, there was a, a couple of years ago, and I'm sure you've been in a similar situation, where I was invited to an event that I, I kind of had, had to be at. I had a tenuous link to, to one person there. Um, and I found myself going to this event not knowing uh, most of the people who are going to be there. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've been invited to a wedding before where you only know, you know the bride or groom and, and none of their friends and their family. And you've got this whole day ahead of you in this room full of strangers. Uh, extroverts, stop salivating. Uh, introverts, you know where I'm going with this, right? <laughs> it's not my cup of tea. Um, now, I've been in those situations before and you do your best and you make the most of it. Um, but what stood out to me around this event um, was that I'd actually just been uh, freshly married to, to my lovely wife, Kay. Uh, and so all of a sudden I kind of go into this day with a sense of, of peace and serenity. Maybe it was because we were just newly married and I was still floating on that cloud. And, um, but, you know, I, I had a real sense of, of being loved and accepted and, and valued. And she wasn't uh, coming with me this day. But I knew whose I was and I knew whom I belonged with. And actually really changed my experience of the day. You see, I was able to go in and just go, it's not going to affect my self-worth or my self-identity if, if I have clunky or awkward um, yeah, conversations with people that are there, if I'm able to connect or not connect with people. You know, my self-esteem was not going to rise or fall on, on my social performance, so to speak. And if there were moments that felt uh, clunky or awkward or like I didn't really belong, well, that was okay because I knew where I did belong. And that as long as that event and that day was... It would be over soon and I would be driving home to be with the one that I love. And for the Christian, so it is with all of our life. You see, Peter writes to this group of believers to remind them of the great Christian reality and the great Christian hope. Right? The great Christian reality is that God, in his mercy... In his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. You know, we have been saved, we've been sanctified, we've been set apart by God and for God for all time. He has set his affection toward us, adopted us as his children and he will never cease loving us. And so we should be different from the world as a result. And throughout our lives, what this means is that our identity is already and permanently secure. It does not depend on the acceptance of others, nor of the opinions that society may or may not hold towards us. That our worth is already and permanently secure. It's found in being a beloved child of God. It does not rise or fall on worldly measures of success. You see, our lives are already and permanently filled with meaning and purpose. You know, we have eternal significance because of our relationship with the living God. And every time we live out of that identity and we declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness, and that, that, re- that echoes and resounds throughout all eternity because of its significance. And so people, Peter wants them to understand this great Christian reality that they live every day in light of, but also this great Christian hope that they have. 
this inheritance that is theirs that can never perish, spoil, or fade. You know, as amazing as our current experience of God and his great love for us is already, like imagine that completed and perfected in the new heavens and the new earth when we get to see Jesus face to face and experience the fullness of his presence, unmarred by the brokenness of our world. You see, like the Israelites wandering through the desert towards the promised land, so we live our lives knowing our final destination, that God will call us home to be with him forever. And it changes our experience of the journey. But unlike the promised land in the Old Testament, which was still subject to internal and external threats, famines, drought, floods, well, maybe not floods, (laughs) all that sort of stuff, Um, our inheritance is kept in heaven and there's a permanence to it, a perfectness and a completeness to it that we can hope in and trust in and look forward to. Uh, Dr. Constable on these words just uh, reminds us that when it comes to our inheritance, it is in its substance imperishable, in its purity undefiled and in its beauty unfading. No one can ravage or pollute our inheritance and it will not wear out or waste away. So while life is long and sometimes feels long, it also isn't. And soon we too will be driving home, so to speak, to be with the one that we love. And all this, in all this, we have great joy, the greatest of joy. You know, as I read the New Testament, Uh, This hope and this joy that we are called to is a a deep and a secure joy. This is not some sort of shallow, happy, clappy, joy, joy, let's put on the happy facade and kind of pretend or ignore any kind of thing that's bad that actually happens in our life. No, it's far more deep and real than that. This hope and this joy is like an anchor for our soul. It's like solid ground underneath our feet. It's like a compass. It's like our true north that helps us navigate through the ups and downs of life. And it's often precisely in times of grief or through trials of many kinds that we feel the full value of our faith and our hope becomes all the more apparent. You know, I may have left my friend's house feeling sad and and having a heaviness on me. Yet it also woke me and stirred something in me to the the significance and the value of the faith that was the reason for us kind of parting ways. You know, kind of gone into the night not even thinking about the of where my friend stood with God. I have to I have to say not not too much, but I left being fully aware of his position before the living God. I hadn't had a self-perception of myself as a, a, an ambassador to Christ, I mean, loosely, of course, but, you know, it wasn't in the forefront of my mind as I, as I went to catch up and, and have dinner, dinner with him. But I left realising that, that as uh, someone who knew and who loved Jesus, that I, that I carried his word and his hope with me wherever I went. I kind of didn't feel like I needed to, to give up my faith. I wanted to um, throw in my faith uh, out of that interaction if if anything it heightened my love for Jesus and as I recognized that this was something that was so core to who I was and to how I wanted to live that Jesus was my all in all and if this is what it meant to follow him and to to claim his name then so be it and this is true of, of many trials not just those of sort of religious natures isn't it 
I mean, it's certainly been Kay's and I experience over the years that, that whenever we've gone through something that, that's particularly tough, uh, either individually or as a couple, we often have this phrase at some point uh, in, the, in the midst of the trial where we look at each other and we say, can you imagine going through this apart from God? It's often those moments of hardship where we actually recognize the value and the worth of our faith and our hope, that we belong to him, that we have this eternal hope, that he is with us in the midst of all that we face. We are his children, and so we live from that place. You know, I think there's some really, really significant things to take hold of in verses uh, 6 to 9. And so if you haven't, I encourage you to to go and do day three and day four of the devotional guide that that, that goes along with this passage. Uh, Spend some time in there, reflect about what what does this mean for you in in whatever grief or, or trials that you are currently facing. But for now, though, I wanted to end by just reminding you that, that with or without the support of culture, family and friends, following Jesus and living out your identity as a child of God is so, so important. The most important thing about your life. That whenever you feel the tension of, of not belonging in this world, don't be discouraged, don't be dismayed, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice that you belong to God and with God. Live with a certain hope that heaven is your home and that God will call you to be with him one day forever, in the place where you truly belong and desire to be. So press on, my friends. Keep the faith. And with hope and with joy, continue to live out your identity as the children of God, being obedient to Christ Jesus and declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. In the words of verse 2, Grace and peace be yours in abundance.